I hope everyone's having a phenomenal Memorial Day weekend. I want to welcome all of our campuses, our Azura campus, our Walton campus, our Oconee campus, everyone who's watching online. I want to take this opportunity to thank each of you who have served and who are serving in our military. We greatly appreciate you. And we especially want to remember those who have sacrificed their lives for our freedom. Today, we are continuing our series, Sunday Fun Day, and we have a phenomenal guest speaker. His name's Jody Shelton. Jody has been the director of Breakthrough Ministries, which our students have been involved in for years, and we've seen hundreds of kids coming to Christ. He's also the next-gen pastor at Boca Community Church down in Florida at the beach. So he's been sacrificing for the Lord at the beach, but we're happy to have him here at Greystone Church today. So let's put our hands together and give Jody a huge Greystone welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it's good to see you here this morning and all three campuses just to be a part of this. I've loved Greystone for many years and um, been a part of this area for several years and I've always respected and admired the pastor, Pastor Jonathan and uh, Heath and Alan, just great guys. And uh, God's just doing some great things at Greystone. I'm honored to be here. So last week I watched the message and I saw that um, the message was about defining moments. So I picked this passage in scripture about Peter and one of his defining moments. And I heard you guys were in the book of Matthew this summer, so I decided to stick to Matthew. So let's open our Bibles to Matthew 14. Matthew 14, starting in verse 22. But I do have a couple questions I want to ask you before we kind of dive into the passage. And first is, do you, do you fear anything? Like, do you have some things in your personal life that you just fear, like that you're just scared of? And maybe the first someone in here is what, what people think of you. Maybe you're really concerned at what people think of you. Or maybe it's not having enough money. Maybe you're like, man, I just always, I got to have enough money to survive. Maybe that's what it is. Or maybe it's flying. A lot of people uh, just don't like flying. Maybe your fear is flying. Or maybe your fear is spiders. And spiders are creepy. Or maybe your fear is flying spiders. I don't know. Whatever it may be. Or maybe it's rejection. You know, that phrase that we, we might have heard in college that none of us want to hear, that, that phrase, I just want to be friends. You know, that, maybe that phrase has haunted you before. Maybe it's public speaking. Public speaking is the number one fear of most adults. So maybe it's public speaking. Or maybe it's death, disease, loss, or something like that, or probably... Out of all the words that I fear the most, there's three. Some assembly required. (laughs) I fear those words, especially from Ikea. I mean, it's just the worst. So maybe you can relate to that. But there's two words that are said all throughout Scripture, over and over and over again. Fear not. Fear not. So I want to share a passage with Isaiah 41.10 before we dive into Matthew. Isaiah 41.10 says, fear not. For I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So God is in the business of helping us to not fear. So as we look at Matthew 14, I'm going to set this story up for you. I want to give you kind of the full context. We're going to read several verses. So stick with me here, starting verse 22. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. And go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone. 
And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. So I want to define some terms that I'm going to use here kind of interchangeably as we look at the story. First thing is I'm going to talk about your boat. And when I talk about your boat, what I mean there is whatever, whatever represents safety and security for you apart from God himself. So whatever represents safety and security apart from God. But I'm also going to talk about walking on the water. And when I refer to this, what I'm meaning is facing your fear and not letting fear have the last word. Also discovering and embracing the unique calling that God has on your life. And experiencing the power of God in your life to do something you would not normally be capable of doing on your own. So as we talk about walking on water, that's what we're talking about. But I want to give you some excuses that the disciples must have thought that early morning. By the way, this was about 3 to 6 in the morning. It was the third watch of the night. 3 to 6 in the morning, that is a very creepy time to be on a sea, on a lake, in the ocean, anytime. So that's what time. Jesus was several miles away from them, walking on the water to them. So why, why are they had these excuses? The first reason is a complacent attitude. A complacent attitude. They were just saying, you know, I'm fine where I am. I don't want to do anything different. I'm okay. And here's what you need to know. For all the counties that this great church represents, Oconee and Walton and, and Gwinnett, is the people around us, they're not mad at God. They're not upset at the things of God. They just don't care. They're just not thinking of church. They're not thinking of God. They're just fine right where they are. And what we've seen in our culture and our country over the years is that complacency has gotten worse. So we see 80 or so years ago, if we look at the generations that have represented some in this room, maybe not all, but what we see is it's gotten worse. So we see the builders. The builders is kind of the World War II generation. The builders are what has made America amazing. If it weren't for the builders, I don't even know where this country would be. It'd be an absolute disaster. Those are those who have been born before 1946. That's the builder generation. And 65% of builders were Bible-based believers. 65%. That is a lot of people. And then we got the boomers. Those are the kids of the builders. And they were about 1946 to about 1964. And 35% of those are Bible-based believers. So about half, le- le- a lot less, but not too bad. And then we got Generation X, 1965 to 1983. That's my generation. Can I see you? you know, generation X, you got there? Latchkey kids. Here we go. 
16% of Bible-based believers in Generation X. And then we go to the millennials. The millennials is the largest generation in our country right now. And the millennials are about 4% Bible-based believers. And about only 10% of them are churchgoers. So there are a lot of millennials all around us that are in desperate need to hear of who Christ is. And then we have Gen Z. Gen Z, there's about 70 million in Gen Z. That's about 1999 to about 2015. And about 13% of these teenagers would say they're atheists, which is double the national average, which is about 6%. So if you've ever wondered why churches put so much emphasis on next gen, and so much emphasis on kids, and so much emphasis on things like sports camp, and all these different things we have going for students and children, it's because we are losing the next generation, and there's a work to be done. And if we don't do it, it's not going to get done. So we see just this complacency in our culture. Just, yeah, I'm okay right where I am. And that's how the disciples felt sitting in that boat that early morning a couple thousand years ago. We also see a distorted view. The distorted view said, well, that's impossible. I could never do that. And here's what Jesus says about that, Luke 18, 27. What is impossible with men is possible with God. You know, sometimes we have this view because we simply don't ask God for help. James 4.2 says, we have not because we ask not. One of the most powerful sermons in all the scripture is the Sermon on the Mount. And one of my favorite portions of that, of that sermon is Jesus, and he's talking, and he's saying, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks will find. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened to you. My friends, we simply don't have things because we don't ask God for things. He has the power. God is on the throne right now. Jesus is at his right hand, and he's mediated on our behalf. And we don't ask. He has the power to make a view. We have a distorted view that we could never do that. But another excuse is an overwhelming fear. You know, we have this fear of what if I try something and I fail? Or better yet, what if I try to succeed and the church keeps calling me again and again and again and again? You know, that's a fear that some people have. Thomas Edison, one of the greatest inventors of our time, he was credited with 1,093 inventions. He produced more patents than any other American. Have you ever thought about how many times he tried with an experiment and it didn't work? The light bulb was over 10,000 tries. As you look around, there's no windows in this room. As you look around, aren't you glad he didn't stop at 9,999? Because we couldn't see each other. We'd have to be outside. So thank goodness for what Thomas Edison did. His famous quote was this, many of life's failures are people who did not realize how close to success they were when they gave up. My friends, don't give up. Let go of that fear. Did you know that if you fail two out of three times in the major leagues in baseball, they'll put you in the Hall of Fame? And actually, hardly anybody has that kind of batting average anymore. It's just not possible. Failure is an attitude. It's not a one-time event. It's an attitude that we have. So not only do we see these excuses, but we also see some reasons for getting out of the boat. Here's a couple reasons we should get out of the boat. First is your faith is exercised. 
It's exercise. Peter saw this as an opportunity rather than an obstacle. And when we exercise, I don't know if you realize this, we get stronger and we get better. So he exercised his faith. But also your faith is examined. Your faith examined. Peter was kind of checked out by Jesus. What happened when we began to sink? Jesus said, you have a little faith. Now make sure you hear the compassion and the love and the grace and the mercy in Jesus' voice as he's talking to Peter that early morning. Don't think harsh. Don't think your dad's mad at you. Think compassion. You have a little faith. Why did you doubt? So you get examined when you get out of the boat. When you go to the doctor, you go to examination. And if you go to the doctor and you're sick, you improve. You get better. And it exercises and exercises Peter's faith. But also, your faith is enhanced. Your faith is enhanced. There's three miracles that took place that early morning. First miracle, Jesus walked on water. Second miracle, Peter walked on water. The third miracle is when they got back into the boat and the winds and the waves died down. So there's three miracles. And as a result, Peter's faith and probably some of the disciples that were still left in the boat, their faith was enhanced. They simply got stronger in their faith. But now I want us to look and focus for a moment on steps. What are some steps to become a fearless water walker? The first thing we have to do is we have to recognize his voice. We have to recognize his voice. Why don't we recognize? Why can't we hear the voice of God? This is simple. There is too much noise and distraction going on in our life. It's easy, y'all. We have so much access to everything now, and unfortunately, we never turn it off. We never sit in silence before God. We never just stop and pause and, and meditate on who God is because we're so connected as a generation. We're so focused on all the things going on. You can watch anything. You can see anything. You can text anybody. You can call anybody. You can do all these things. We are so distracted. Some of us need to stop and pause and delete some data from our spiritual hard drives and allow God to speak to us. And you can't hear his voice because you're too distracted. Now, understand something. When I'm talking to you, I'm talking to me. I'm right there with you. I mean, we are such a distracted people. We've got to get alone with God and remember his voice. When I was in North Carolina for six years, there was this lady that lived across the street from us, and our house kind of sat here, and her house kind of sat up there on a hill. She had these two boys, about eight and ten years old, and they'd always ride their bikes around our neighborhood, and we had a cul-de-sac, so, you know, everybody wants the cul-de-sac because it's safe, and they'd ride around, and sometimes J.D. and the mom would step out, and she would she'd step out on the porch, and she had one of those whistles, you know, the whistle that a few people you know can just, and you're like, oh my goodness, that's so loud. I don't have that whistle. I have like the train, you know, like the, that's all I got. I tried to learn the whistle, I never could, but Jadine's whistle was so loud. And I don't know what she told those boys, but she would step out on that porch and she'd whistle. And no matter where they were on that street, they would stop, pause, turn around and go home. I was like, man, that is amazing. So I'd have friends over to the house be like, hey, can you whistle? Yeah. Go out on my porch and whistle. Let's see if those kids come over here. And they never did. They never came. And of course, I couldn't get them to come. But they always stopped when their mom whistled. 
because they recognized the whistle of their mom because they knew it. They had heard it. You see, Peter walking on that water that early morning, he had heard Jesus say things. He had heard Jesus say, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's telling the children to come to him. He had heard those things. So when Jesus said, come, Peter realized that is the voice of my master. That is the voice of the teacher. That is the voice of the rabbi. And he pressed on because he recognized the voice. But next, we also need to remember previous victories. See, when Peter was in that boat that night with the disciples, and they're all back here, you know, scared, and Peter's thinking of stepping out, he wasn't just seeing Jesus for the first time and thinking, huh, I'm going I'm to give this a shot with this guy. No. He had already seen Jesus feed over 5,000 people with just a little bit of food. He had already seen Jesus heal a man with a shriveled hand. He had already seen Jesus raise a girl who was dead to come back to life. He had already seen these things. In Matthew chapter 8, he was in the boat when Jesus was taking a nap, and there was a storm, and they had to wake Jesus up, and Jesus like gets up and says, sit down and be quiet. And the waves and the wind stop. Peter was there. So he kind of remembered those victories. Isn't it interesting that in Matthew 8, the disciples and Peter, they said, what man is this that even the winds and the waves obey? And in Matthew 14, they say, truly, you are the son of God. So in just a moment, in just six chapters, they went from wow to God. Just an amazing place that must have been for them in their faith. So Peter remembered his previous victories. And here's the deal. We got to do that too. God's been good to you. God's been faithful. And you're not supposed to forget the miracles that God has done in your life. Not just Peter's life and the disciples, in your life. You see, the miracles of God are kind of there to show you that he is who he says that he is. It's one thing to say, I am God. It's another thing to back it up with actions. Jesus didn't say, hey, I am. He backed up the fact that he was Jehovah with his actions and his miracles. So listen to John 20, 30 and 31. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So here's the amazing thing. We have like the highlight reel. We have like the sports center version of Jesus' life. We have like the Instagram of Jesus. One day, we're going to see the uncut version. And we're going to sit in heaven for about a thousand years and watch all the other cool things that Jesus did. If you get on my Instagram, you're going to see like my hair's fixed right. We did like 10 pictures before to try to get a good family shot. You're going to see the highlights. You're not going to see all the day-to-day. There was so much more that happened that we haven't even seen. What an amazing thousand years that will be in heaven. We also need to release present fears. Release present fears. Christ showed a display of power over the very thing that they feared the most. He showed power over their fear. Paul, in one of his last couple phrases to Timothy right before Paul passed away, He said this in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, 
but of power and of love and of sound mind. Whatever you fear, Christ has ultimate power over it right now. Death, disease, rejection. Christ's got it. He's got your back. When I was a kid growing up, I'm not even sure where this happened. I don't even know how it originated, to be honest with you. But I had this tremendous fear. And I'm not exaggerating. You know, sometimes pastors will exaggerate a little bit. This is no exaggeration. Like, I feared frogs. Like, bad. It was bad. It was a bad fear. And can we all just agree, um, Genesis 1, when God created all things and he created all the animals and he said it is good, that he was not there. The frog, the frog clearly came after the fall of man when everything kind of changed. Because there's no way that he saw that and that it was good. There's just no way. So I was at the mall one night with my, with my buddies in high school, and we were hanging out at the mall. And um, there's about four of us. And I hung out with football players because I played football in, in high school. And um, I was hanging out with them, and they were all faster than me. Um, they were all like uh, two of them were receivers, and one of them was a quarterback. And they were all pretty fast, and I was a tight end. What a tight end is, is it's a person who's too slow, too big uh, to be a wide receiver and too slow, and too small to be an offensive lineman. So you're tied in, and you just hope and pray that one day you catch the ball and score a touchdown. It never really happened, but that's what I did. So I'm with these guys, and I'm, I'm, they're all way faster than me. And by the way, just a word of caution, if you have a fear, your friends and family know that fear. They know it. So we're at the mall, and there's a frog. And my buddies are like, hey, guys. And they're pointing to the frog. And I'm, I'm seeing, I'm kind of acting like I don't see what's going on. Yeah, what's going on? But I, I saw that thing the second we walked up. And they saw it and they picked it up. And I'm not exaggerating. I ran around the entire mall. It was about a mile. And they chased me. Now, they were faster than me. But not that night. <laughs> not that night. They chased me till finally they gave up and dropped the frog, and I came back, and it was over. I had such a fear of frogs for some odd reason. So then a couple months go by, and we're, we're at our youth pastor's house. We're walking, we walk up to his door, and it was, it's Texas, it had just rained, and you know, frogs come out right after it rains, the grass and on your sidewalk, and there he was. We were walking up, and there was this big old bullfrog, and he was sitting right there, his big eyes just looking right at us. And I saw my friends, and they're like, hey. And they started pointing again. And I was faced with the decision. Am I going to continue to deal with this my whole life, or am I going to face my fear right in the face? And I walked down there, and I picked up that big bullfrog, and I looked him right in the face. I said, I'm not afraid of you anymore. And I put him down. And my friends were like, wow. Now I'm going to tell you something. I've done some really fearful things. I've been ziplining in the jungle of Nicaragua. I've been on an airplane when crazy turbulence is going on. I have never feared more at any part of my life than that moment when I picked up that frog. Now, here's the deal. I still don't like frogs, but I don't fear them anymore. And there's some fears that you may have in this room, and it's time for you to face those fears and release them, but also realize your potential. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So here's what happened. Peter thought, 
if he, he can walk on water, then he has the power to let me walk on water with him. And that's the way we're supposed to think. You know, John 16, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, and Jesus tells the disciples that the helper and the comforter and the counselor is going to come. So what happens is when we decide to follow Jesus, and we put our faith, hope, and trust alone in Jesus for, for our salvation, we get the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not reside anymore in the tabernacle in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit resides right here in you and me. So we have tremendous potential that we simply don't activate because we're not understanding who's in us. Is there some things that you can't do? Yes. But when you activate the Holy Spirit and you realize your potential in Christ, you can do anything you want because he is in you. And greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. My friends, realize your potential this morning. But also request supernatural help. Request supernatural help. John 14, 12. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me, I will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Even greater things than Jesus. Let me help you understand something. Our culture that is all around us, our neighborhoods that are all around us, all these counties that Greystone represents, there is only one plan that Jesus has for us to reach those people. One plan. And it's you. That's plan A. There is no plan B. Next week, you're going to have a sports camp, and it's going to be amazing. Kids are going to come to Christ. It's going to be awesome. You've invested your tithes and your offerings into something like this for kids, and God's going to show up. Somewhere, someone, I don't don't know who it is, has a plan B. Like, well, what if this happens? Plan B. There is no plan B with God. We are his ambassadors. We represent him. We are told to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You, my friend, are plan A. There's no backup plan. So request supernatural help, but also remain constantly focused. Remain constantly focused. You see, what happened when Peter took a step out of that boat? He started looking directly in the eyes of the Savior, and everything was good. He was walking directly to him, and everything was fine. He was taking steps towards Jesus. And then he heard the wind, and then he saw the waves, and he began to take his focus off of the Savior and put his focus on the storm. And he put his focus on the storm. Guess what happened? He began to sink. Now, he didn't drown, but he began to sink. See, what happens when we get focused on the things of this world and on all our circumstances we begin to sink. That's exactly what happens. Listen to Proverbs 4, 25 through 27. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the path for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right and do not turn to the left. Keep your foot from evil. He took his focus off the Savior and he put his focus on the storms of life. 
And right now you're probably thinking, man, oh man, have I done that before? You are not alone. But man, if we want to walk on the water, we got to stay focused on Christ. Luke 9, 62 says, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So here's what you need to do as you walk out of here in just a little bit. You need to grab hold of the Savior, Jesus Christ, and you need to hold on tight and follow him. And don't listen to the things going on in the world, y'all. It's mass chaos. Our world is so messed up, and yes, it is more messed up than it's ever been, without question. Keep your hands on the shoulders of Christ, and he will take you to places that you can't even fathom or imagine, and he will do immeasurably more than all you could ever ask or imagine, according to his riches in Christ Jesus, if you will simply focus on him and always hold on tight for the ride of a lifetime. That's what he wants to do in and through you, but you've got to stay focused on him. Next, and last, is receive needed correction. Man, none of us like this, am I right? Nobody wants to be corrected. Our feelings get hurt. Someone corrects us, and we just, we don't like them anymore. We're not friends anymore. Someone confronts you. I don't want to talk to you again. Listen, we got to receive needed correction from Scripture. We got to receive needed correction from the Holy Spirit. The Bible verse that relates to this the most is probably 2 Timothy 3.16, which says, All Scripture is God-breathed, meaning it's inspired, it's inerrant. It is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking. You've been rebuked? I have a few times, not many, but a few. Correcting and training. Those are words that we don't really like anymore. But Scripture needs to do that for you. So what should happen in your personal time with God, maybe it's tomorrow morning, maybe it's tonight, maybe it's tomorrow night, your personal time with God, whenever that is, or maybe it's right here, just in the, in the midst of this moment right now, you open up God's word and you read it. And if there's something in scripture that is contrary to what you're doing in your life, you are supposed to be corrected and changed by the power of the Holy Spirit of God that is at work within you. Now, here's what's cool. The Bible says the Holy Spirit will help you in your weakness. He's got your back. He's going to help you. But if you never open up the Word of God, and you never listen when you come in this place, and you never serve, and you never do anything, here's what's going to happen. You're not ever going to get rebuked by the Holy Spirit. You're not ever going to get better. You're not ever going to get corrected. You're not ever going to get trained in righteousness. God wants to make you stronger. He wants to see you walk on the water, but you've got to allow him to speak to you. That's what you've got to do. So receive it. Receive it. So Christ lets, them, lets us know that we're going to encounter problems. Man, you, you're going to have storms in life. You're going to deal with some stuff. Let's just be honest. But if you're willing to get out of the boat, two things will happen. The first thing is, if you fail, which sometimes you will, Jesus will be there to pick you up. Did you hear that? If you fail, which you will, Jesus will pick you up. Peter is the first original human being water walker. And the last, all within just a few minutes. No one else has ever done that. And at the moment when Peter began to sink because he took his focus off of the Savior and put his focus on the storms of life, at that moment, Jesus reached down his hand 
and he pulled him up. And I like how the psalmist says it. And he set his feet upon the rock. From the miry clay to the rock. Friends, Jesus will save you. What did Peter say? Three words that can change your life. Lord, save me. It's all it takes. And Jesus says, I got you. Come. Come. It's all it takes. But also, what can happen is every once in a while, you'll walk on water. And that's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome when you get that opportunity. So, yeah, sometimes you're going to fail, but Jesus will be there to save you. But sometimes you're going to walk on water. So where are you? Where are you this morning? Some of you would say, man, Jody, if I'm honest, I'm huddled in a boat, and I got my life jacket on, and I'm scared, and my seatbelt's on. That's where I am. I'm, I'm just like those disciples. Some of you would say, man, I'm, I'm kind of one leg in, and I'm one leg out. Maybe that's you. That is not something you want to be with Jesus Jesus, like, you're either all in or not in. It's all or nothing. So decide. I love what Joshua said, choose you this day whom you will serve. Man, make that decision. Some of you right now, you're out of the boat, but the winds and the waves look pretty bad. And you're kind of scared. Some of you, you're out of the boat and you're walking on water and God's using you. And praise God, keep doing what you do. And be prepared if you fail to allow the Lord, the creator of all things that matter, to pull you from that miry clay and set your feet on the rock. Because that's what he will do at the moment you begin to sink. Stay focused on God. But let me say one last thing that's very clear. If you want to walk on the water, you have to get out of the boat. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for this great church. God, thank you for what it means in this community. God, I pray that you continue to do amazing things in and through Greystone on all three campuses. God, I thank you for just the witness that it is and the city on a hill that just represents light to all the people of this community. But God, I pray for my friends in this room right now, and I pray that you do something awesome in and through them. God, and I pray that right now, if they're huddled up in that boat and they're scared to get out, that you just touch them Help them realize their potential because of the Holy Spirit and help them do amazing things, not through their own strengths, not through their own talents or their giftedness, God, but through you. Because that is how we have that power, only through you. Jesus, be with us now as we go. Help us to stay focused on you and do away with the distractions that we face on a day-to-day basis. Jesus, we want to become more like you. Help us do that. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys.